right, Mike Moore, we're here at uh, Missio Alliance Awakenings Conference 2019. Yes. Are you as exhausted as I am? I think you're more exhausted than I am. I think you're more exhausted than I am. Dave's done a plenary. Plenary, and I was only half there for that. I heard you showed. I heard that you showed up late. Okay, let's not like reveal all our sins <laughs> on the air. But yeah, it's been a busy, busy time. Yeah, we're here in Alexandria, Virginia. Wonderful place. And the blossoms are out. Can I just ask see? what's been the highlight of the thing for you? Um, I like the the worship, urban oh, doxology. Man. Oh, oh, oh! I felt it, like I went to another. You know how when you're, uh, you, you know the Mount of Transfiguration story? That's where I was <laughs> a couple of times this week with worship, and I'm not just yeah. joking. And they're actually they're actually next door, so we might get to hear some of their music in the I background I hope we here. do. Yeah, so anyways, I'm a little worried about the music this week. I'm a little stressed out because, you know, you didn't bring the music or something happened mm -hmm. in the music. Yeah, or you, I don't know where it went. You stuffed it away somewhere. I don't know what you did. You <laughs> say you're going to dub it in, so it should be playing right yes. now as I'm yeah. saying this. Yes. Okay. It'll be dubbing it in. That's okay, so right about word. now, let's dim the music. Okay. Right now. Dimming it right now. And ladies and gentlemen, we have with us a very special guest. Karen Swallow Pryor. Yes author of On Reading Well. I'm really excited about this book, by the way, and I'm so excited to talk about it, but there's a number of other things. Do you, do you want to talk about all that Karen is, or do you want me to? I got it written all down there. Yeah, you, on the, you right there. it written really clearly. Okay, my writing's not the best. All right, give it back to me, Mike. I can, I, I can start out by saying. Research Fellow, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist mm -hmm. Convention. Russell Moore is, is he the director or is he the, don't talk yet because we haven't formally introduced you, Karen. Sorry. So, so sh she can just nod. <laughs> One blink. <laughs> She's, yeah. oh, what? Go ahead. Go She's ahead. senior fellow of, uh, of the Trinity Forum in Washington, D.C. She is a member, this is really cool, Faith Advisory Council of the Humane Society. Stanley, if you're listening right now, you owe this woman. This woman, the next time we see her, my dog, my dog Stanley, whom I love. Oh, I thought you were talking about Stanley Hauerwas. No. All right, folks, let's get on with it. <laughs> I was just confused. This, we, are, we, are, we are going off the rails on our podcast. All right, Karen, so great to have you. Is there anything we missed? I mean, I hear your CV and your resume is about five pages long. Well, what you missed was my main no, job. Her job. Oh, her job. yes! I can't, yeah, I, I can't believe I blew that. <laughs> it happens all the time. It's, we're trying to up our, our game here, but it's taking a while. Well, that's a lot to take in. Yes, you are a professor of English at Liberty University. That's right. Which, by the way, okay, I'm a... Folks, I, I coach a hockey uh, program at the YMCA. It's not a travel program. It is a house league program. They have... Um, uh, anyways, we have sent two guys to the Liberty University hockey team, and you have a Division One hockey team. I, I probably shouldn't be so excited about this. And you have four programs. You have two, I think you have two freshman teams at JV and a varsity. That's not that's unheard of. I love. Liberty. I had no idea. Uh, for, I'm, we're not going to talk about all the maybe the disagreements I or anyone else might have with Liberty, but I love Liberty for its hockey program. Hockey's big in Virginia. Is it really? No. <laughs> Uh, you fit right. You had fit, me, man. You fit right in. She got me. So we're talking a little bit uh, this afternoon about your book on reading well, finding the good life through great books, which was a 
Christmas gift for me. Um, From? Um, my in-laws, actually. I, th- I yeah. thought it was going to be Grace. No, no, it's... Uh, yeah. Grace, where were you? <laughs> so um, the irony is um, the copy of your book I received is actually a Kindle version. And maybe that's not ironic, but it, at least it feels ironic to me because it's about these great historic pieces of literature. And I'm reading it on a Kindle. Who gives a Kindle gift for Christmas? I know. You, you, you just get it, you just get it over that. email. You, you, you get like an email notification that you have received a book. <laughs> Talk about a, a downer for a Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but the book was not a downer. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I read something here yes. from your book um, that jumped out to me? I felt... By the way, at it? some point, we got to let Karen talk. Just FYI. It's fine. You guys are doing great. <laughs> You're right. If, like me, you have lived long enough to have experienced life and reading mm. before the internet, perhaps you have now found your attention span shortened and your ability to sit and read for an hour or more nil. That, that describes me really well. And I'm, I'm assuming for you, uh, Karen, I'll, I know Dave better. Um, I'm assuming then that, that you're probably a voracious reader yourself. How do you maintain that discipline of yes. reading when it's so easy to have your attention oh, yes. distracted? It's really tough. I have to tell you, it's really tough. I mean, reading is my day job. You know, I assign books to my students to read and, you know, it helps if I've read them myself or reread them. So it's part of my job that actually makes it easier um, because I have to do my work. And as far as sitting down and relaxing and reading a book for fun, um, the phone is too easy uh a distraction oh, um yeah. and so i'm actually i mean i'll be totally honest I, i'm i'm working on developing disciplines of putting the phone away putting it in another room um doing whatever i need to so that i can sit down and and read for an hour it's easier it's easier in the summer when i'm not um when i'm not teaching uh, because you know it's easy to justify interrupting my reading for teaching when i also have to answer an email or check a a tweet Mm. that might be work related you know Mm. um (laughs) so it's it's you know it it really is the struggle is real and um i think a big part of overcoming it is recognizing it and being intentional about developing practices to overcome it yeah how how Uh, i just need one can you just i just need one you said developing practices to overcome it. I just need one. Put I the phone need... in the other room. That's a good. That's a good start. And the computer. Yeah, and the computer. Yeah, the my computer. Room. My computer is not a distraction for me. It's. It's really. I do everything on my phone. So. That's. Oh, the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Okay. You got one more. I'm sorry to. I, yeah. I, um, okay. So one more would be. Um, you know, I, I think in the, what you just read, I said something like an hour. Well, that was just, you know, that's a random number. So for whatever the number is for you, um, if for you it's a struggle to read for 10 or 15 minutes a day, then just start there. I mean, it's really like, it's, it's like any kind of exercise. Um, yeah. You know, you, you start out where you are. If you haven't exercised in 10 years and you walk for five minutes, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get to 15 or 20 or 30 minutes. And it's the same with reading. It, 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 that attentive focus is something that needs to be exercised and developed just like a physical muscle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what, um, I'm going to ask a question then make a statement. So maybe that's not a good way to ask the question. I guess I'll just give an observation. So Dave's talk that he gave yesterday, he talked about Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue. Your book also draws on McIntyre's mm-hmm. work. 
So what was the genesis behind merging these two worlds mm. of great literature, virtue ethics? How did that yeah. come together? Yeah, it really, I, I wish I had a really brilliant answer for it. But what honestly happened is that um, m- my publisher agreed to write, a, to publish a book that I would write about books. And it really had a very loose framework. Virtue wasn't mm. part of it at all. Mm. Um, but my publisher and my editor happens to also work with um, James K. A. Smith, sure. whose work has greatly influenced me. And, and um, so he talks a lot, Smith talks a lot about practices and habits and liturgy. And my editor, knowing that um, I have read and um, been formed by Jamie's work, suggested in my final proposal that I submitted to the publisher to put something in about the practice of reading, developing virtue. So I put that in my proposal, and then a few months later, when summer started and I actually sat down to begin writing this, I thought, huh, I ought to do some research on virtue and the virtues. And I just dove in and started reading Aristotle and Aquinas and wow. and, and, and virtue ethicists, contemporary virtue ethicists, including McIntyre. And it, the hardest part of writing this book was stopping the reading and research, because that's my favorite part, um, because I just fell in love with the topic of virtues. And then everything, and I, I remember that I have, you know, I have this email, I wrote my editor at one point and said, this book has entirely changed. I hope mm. that's okay. Um, and this is what came out. That's great. So, uh, you probably don't know this, Mike, but my f- one of my four qualifying exams for my PhD at Northwestern was Virtue Theory, Narrative Ethics, Hauerwas, McIntyre, blah, 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 blah. Um, and uh, so I'm really into this, but now you're, you're trying to tell us that reading good literature, I'm quoting, I think I'm quoting you now, offers the reader vicarious practice in exercising virtue. Could you explain that a little bit? Sure. Well, one of the things that I talk about is how reading itself is a virtue and cultivates virtue because you have to, just like we talked about, you have to focus your attention span, you have to be patient, you have to be diligent and all those things. But when I talk about vicarious practice of virtues, I'm talking about the kind of journey that we go on with the characters in the novels, any novel that we read as, as they encounter dilemmas and conflicts and make choices that are you know we either agree with or disagree with and then we experience with them the consequences of those decisions Mm -hmm. um we're actually practicing through our minds the same kind of critical thinking and and results of that thinking that we practice every day in real life i mean as we're thinking along with the character and the narrator's presentation of that character um we're thinking in the same way that we do in, you know, in our jobs when we're thinking, oh, well, how do I respond to my boss's request or how do I respond to my coworker? Mm-hmm. Same same kind of mm-hmm. activity. So it's now, vicarious. Now, it sounds a little bit like one of my mentors, Stanley Hauerwas. Did you read Stanley at all and did you get into it? Well, I, I did consult his books and I didn't find anything directly helpful, but they're, they're there Ouch. in the background. Sorry. I mean, you Ouch. know, I'm not an ex, you know, this, my, my real area was right. the fiction. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd have to go back to school to get in that deep. Can I ask one more question? Okay, because I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal, Anabaptist, Evangelical. It's a mouthful. Yep. And one of the things that I always get asked, and and I think one of the things Stanley always gets asked is, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about becoming a better person. 
through virtue theory or reading good literature. All right, I hope this I, I, this is an important question for me. I hope this makes sense. Where's the Holy Spirit in this? I need the Holy Spirit. Give me some Holy Spirit okay. in this theory. <laughs> well, I actually do give a lot of the Holy Spirit in the second section of the book because I divide it up into the different kinds of ah, virtues, yes. right? So we've got the, the classical cardinal virtues, uh, prudence, yeah. courage, temperance, justice. Mm -hmm. And then in the second part, I talk about what are called the theological virtues. Um, most Christians are familiar with these virtues, even if they don't know that they have been traditionally called virtues, and those are faith, hope, and love. Yes. And they are supernatural virtues in the sense that although we can improve and increase our ability and facility with them through practice like all the other virtues their origin at least in the biblical sense is with god and the holy spirit so even though all human beings are capable of faith hope and love um the ones that we understand in reading in the bible and what the bible is talking about are the ones that come only as gifts from god mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. those are the most obvious ones but throughout i talk about the role that um that our Christian faith can play in cultivating all of these virtues. So it really is kind of a blend of, you know, classical Aristotelian uh, virtue ethics. And of course, Aristotle was not, you know, he didn't account for the Holy Spirit in his work, um, but he still, he, I think, as Augustine says, all truth is God's truth. And I think Aristotle was onto something about, you know, kind of looking at the things that make human beings most excellent um, and, as Christians, we know that we're made in the image of God. So the things that make us most excellent are the things that reflect his character the best. And we do that most, even though there's common grace that allows us all to do that, we do it most with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One more question. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> okay. All sounds very Roman Catholic to me. Okay, now, you're at a Baptist school. Yes. Okay. How do you ever get any pushback, or have you had it since you, the book came out? It's been quite a smash, folks. The book is Karen Swallow Pryor's "On Reading Well." Go out and get it. We'll have it on the notes. We'll have it in. There. Um, do you ever get any push? It's done so well. The book. It's become very popular. Oh, I, I, thank we're, you. We're kind of honored that you know we're in your midst right now. Well, one thing I have going for me is that Baptists don't read a lot, generally. <laughs> okay. Hopefully they don't listen to podcasts either. We work for a Baptist seminary, technically, although we were so embarrassed we took the Baptist name out of this it. It's correct. no longer Northern Baptist, correct. it's Northern Seminary. Yes, and go, yeah. so go on. Yeah, so, so, so maybe the people who would be most upset haven't read the book. <laughs> but... You know, on the other hand... But we want you folks, if you're listening, to go out and read the book and get upset. <laughs> that's right. On the other hand, you know, the stereotype about Baptists is, you know, has some truth, but it's really largely, um, you know, exaggerated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, even at Liberty University, you know, we have a divinity school that has scholars in it. And even the English department, you know, we, we read, we went to school, we got our doctorates and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, it is, you know, it is, it is a book that does draw heavily on, um, on Catholic thinkers, on, you know, on Greek thinkers. 
Um, but it also, it's, I, I put a lot of scripture in there and draw on a lot of scripture. And I think, as I said, with Augustine, all truth is God's truth. And mm-hmm. there's a lot out there for us to mine and discover. Right. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you. That was great. Dave and I both pastor churches in Chicago. Um, and the thing that I was taught the most about approaching literature as a pastor was to read it for sermon illustrations. Um, which reminds me of uh, in your book when you, uh, I hope I'm not paraphrasing you too strongly, but you say that we are oftentimes taught to read for information mm-hmm. as opposed to for mm-hmm. formation. Mm-hmm. So if, if like pastors are going to read well, how would that also shape the craft of preaching beyond just mere illustration? Sure. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, sometimes I wish our pastors would use more illustrations from classic literature, so that's not a bad reason. But as you said, the the main point of this book is how reading literature, good literature, um, you know, literary art uh, forms us, um, you know, in the same way that simply going to an art museum and observing the art hanging on the walls does something for us because it attunes us to beauty it attunes us to uh, the world around us and to the perceptions of the world around us that other people have that might be different from ours Uh, these are all things that the qualities of, of that are i would think are necessary for a pastor to have to have a kind of nuanced understanding of how people perceive the world and how our perceptions shape our sense of reality, how, how we uh, reflect back on the world, whether it's through words in literature or through painting or just through our conversations with one another. Um, even the most, you know, the most unartful people that we might encounter are still um, creating or recreating what's going on in their souls and their mm-hmm. interiors and their emotions. And we <clears throat> all are interpreters of ourselves and the people around us. And so reading literature just kind of makes that process that's part of being human literal. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and we're just kind of doing in a literal, mm-hmm. more literal way everything <clears throat> that we do metaphorically as we experience, reflect, perceive, and interpret the world. Mm-hmm. So, so what, would it, what would it look like in a local church for like a community to read well together. Cause I've been part of churches and we've done like book clubs. Mm-hmm. That's w- which I, I think can be an example of that. But what would it look, look like to say, yeah, th- this church reads well together. Like what would be the practices that they're doing? Um, whether that's a book club or, or something else. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a book club is a great idea and, and that's something that uh, some churches do and perhaps more should do because it's again it's a practice in reading well but those practices that we develop reading well when we read fiction or literature are really the same skills that we need to read well when we read the bible um some of my best students uh in you know my years of teaching have been my some of my best literature students have been double majors in english and biblical studies Mm. because because we're really practicing Mm -hmm. some of the same skills Mm. and so I think reading the Bible together as a congregation, reading it well, um, is there. There are lots of ways to do that, and and one is 
um, to read you know, longer passages in context, to read not only for information, but for formation, which I think most Christians believe that's what we're doing when we're reading the Bible, and, but just to maybe more, be more intentional and aware of it. And even just to pay attention to the language of the Bible. I mean, regardless of the translation, there are you know some translations that are more beautiful and some that are more accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Bible is a is a beautiful work of literary art. It's much more than that, of course, but it is that. And just being in tune with the way that God uses these human writers um, to convey His truth. I mean, what a powerful testimony that is to the power of language mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dave you have a favorite uh, a favorite what a favorite um, piece of literature oh. since we're talking about literature oh. I, I know you've admitted in the past that I literature def- is not your no, no well yes I, I it's true but I don't admit it okay <laughs> okay maybe that's just the Flannery O'Connor Flannery O'Connor yeah I've read her in my final Karen ones. gives that a thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs Two up. Two thumbs up. Um, I have read, so she's a favorite, and I have read Jaber Crow, yeah. Wendell. Wendell Berry. Yeah. Berry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read that, I think, in, in a day and a half. Now, I think I, it's I, really I, dense in the end. You know, I really don't read. I need read, to read that. I don't read novels very well. I, I'm just going to confess. I read, I, I, I can read very thick theology and just totally get into it. Oh, I, that left turn and that right. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> but when it comes to novels, I, I, I have a, can you be my therapist to maybe help me? Do you need, you need to reread the introduction to my book because it's really t- it's telling you how to read a novel. Ladies oh. and gentlemen out there. If you struggle with reading novels like I do, you're a right, wait, you're a left brain thinker, all you think is theology, metaphysics, blah, 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 you need to read the intro to Karen Swallow Pryor's On Reading Well. I have one more question. I know we're, we've been into this uh, for a while, but can I sneak in an extra you question? You can sneak in a question and then I'll, I'll finish, finish it up with one more. All right. You know, uh, the uh, romance novel, I was reading um, Anthony Giddens' The Transformation of Intimacy about a year ago. He blames the whole excessive sexualization of romance on the birth of the novel. I, and it's not just him. I've heard other people do this. You know, isn't there a bad, isn't there bad literature and isn't there bad novels and, and isn't, can't we blame literature for some of the bad stuff going on in our culture today? And what do you do with that? Sure. There's bad literature, just like there's good literature. I don't write about the bad literature in this book. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, just like film can be art or film can be like chick flicks. I don't watch chick flicks any more than I read romance novels. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, that's just a testimony to the power of art, which can be used for good or ill. Uh And some of those, you know, romance novels aren't really that arty (laughs) Um, and so it's really more like junk food as opposed to healthy food and so yeah we need to be discerning in our taste and and it's not I mean there's nothing wrong with reading for pleasure reading for fun and reading for enjoyment but if we take pleasure and enjoyment in these things that present very distorted images of whatever it might be whether it's love and sex or or violence and anything else then then we probably ought to you know cultivate better desires my you got a wrap. You got a wrap up here. My question is much more pointed. Um, mm. What's your? I don't favorite? think you can get any more pointed than uh, calling out a disgusting romance novels. <laughs> <Okay, go ahead. laughs> I was just going to ask, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, but currently or 
over the history of your life? <laughs> Which is a very easy question to answer. What's your favorite piece of literature? Wow. So I can probably boil it down to two. Um, one of them is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, mm -hmm. uh, which I've written about in my first book, Booked Literature in the Soul of Me, and also written about in a couple of essays that you can find on the internet, one at the Atlantic, the other at the Gospel Coalition. So I've written about that book a number of times. Mm -hmm. um, and then another one, which I'm actually currently rereading because I'm teaching it in one of my classes, is Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, mm -hmm. which is just a delight, mm -hmm. an utter delight. Yeah. But you have to read it slowly. It's not something that you read just to get through for the plot, but you right. have to enjoy his literary craft. And these are Those are books that you reference in this book. I reference them, but I don't write about them in that right. in that book, yes. Um, I write about a couple, I write about A Tale of Two Cities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, well, it's been a real pleasure being with you and talking about this subject. And I actually, you know, I really do think this is worthy things to think about. I, if anyone is struggling like me, and I, I've read a lot about novels. How, Stanley Harwash does a lot of writing about novels, lessons of virtue from novels. Right. Uh, but reading the novels has always been a struggle. And yet I think you're challenging us, especially us pastors, mm -hmm. people that got to preach. And by the way, pre preaching without story is pathetic. <laughs> you must, <laughs> as preachers, to learn how to read and script a good piece of literature as story. So the introduction and you, and you need alone. to read not just about the Bible, but read the Bible. Same as same as with the novels. I'm feeling a little nervous right now. She's pointing her finger at me as if to suggest well, uh, yeah. maybe the the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. Okay. Karen. Thank you. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I thank you very much for being here, yeah, folks. If you're struggling, if if you're not struggling, definitely buy the book. But if you are struggling to read literature, all the more buy the book. The introduction is worth the price. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to end this podcast. Do you want to do anything else? Like, you know, you always do Fitch versus Fitch, Fitch, Fitch. Nope. Something else. You have these little games you play at the end of every podcast. Um, People are upset maybe, about it. Maybe, um... No, I, I had nothing. Unless I think people are going to be happy with that right okay, now. Okay, okay. I just wanted to thank Karen for coming. Thanks, yes. for, thank thanks for, for coming. Thanks for having me. And it was a little hard to find us, but you found us. And thanks for coming to Missy Orleans. And, and you're you're doing, uh, what are you doing here uh, tomorrow? Are you on? I'm doing a plenary talk tomorrow morning. Oh, boy. oh Can great. you give us the title of the talk? I should know it, but. It's uh, oh, something oh. to do with virtue and the church. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, there we go. The uh, plenary speaker. Doesn't remember the title of her plenary. That, but that's okay. It happens. I'm, I'm sure she'll remember it tomorrow. <laughs> when she stands up and, and gives the talk. All right. Good to be with you. Uh, it's it's another time to end the uh, podcast. It's over and out. Until next time, it's Mike Moore and Dave Fitch. See you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>